You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, April 18th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California report goes behind the scenes of a massive investigation into two crime syndicates in Sutter, Sacramento, and four other counties. Officials say arrests and gun seizures prevented a bloodbath. Call it Snowmageddon, Snowpocalypse, whatever, it's nothing compared to the arc storm described by KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker, in today's chat with Paul Emery. We wrap up with a Money Matters commentary from Mark Cuniberti. This is the California Report. I'm Mari Bolaños in San Francisco. Law enforcement agencies have arrested 17 suspects for their alleged involvement in shooting attacks at Sikh temples in Stockton and Sacramento. The suspects are members of two rival criminal groups with at least two men wanted for murder in India. Sutter County District Attorney General Jennifer Dupre says they seized 41 firearms in the operation and thwarted two additional shootings at a Sikh parade last month. We were able to stop a mass casualty incident. If those weapons had gotten into the parade, it could have been a bloodbath. The investigation involved 500 law enforcement officers spanning six counties, as well as the FBI, DEA, Homeland Security, and Department of Justice. During the pandemic, many people gained access to Medicaid, the low-to-no-cost health insurance. But now, with pandemic protections ending, states are beginning to re-examine people's eligibility. CAP Radio's healthcare reporter Kate Wolf has the story. Local organizations are bracing for the impact of their clients losing their coverage. Gloria Torres is a community health worker with La Familia Counseling Center in South Sacramento. She knows how important it is for people to have health insurance. She says she'll never forget when, during a big event, a mariachi singer came up to her. And he said, do you remember me? I saw you five years ago. You helped me with my Medi-Cal. And because of you, I had open heart surgery. And I am still here singing. For the past three years, no one has been taken off Medi-Cal, California's version of Medicaid. But now people can be disenrolled again if they earn too much or don't update their information. Torres worries people will decide to go without health insurance. The challenge for us is to encourage them to find a way in making payments. Torres and state outreach workers are asking people to go to keepmedicalcoverage.com to update their information and to fill out renewal packets coming in the mail. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. For families whose loved ones are facing a mental health crisis, it can be hard to be optimistic, especially when resources are scarce. Jefferson Public Radio's Jane Vaughn reports on a proposal to create an emergency mental health care facility in Humboldt County, a warning that this story includes mentions of suicide and drug use. It's 4 p.m. on a Monday, and Leah Nagy is just now eating lunch. She's the president of the Humboldt County chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, and she spent her day coordinating resources for families. Over the past 25 years, she's grown familiar with mental illness. Her youngest son has bipolar disorder, and she has four grandchildren with serious mental illnesses. So I've had personal, lots of personal experiences Which, you know, you never want to be drafted into the mental health arena. Nagy is 79 years old. 
She's short, with long gray braids and silver glasses. She laughs easily and is quick to share the number for her cell phone, which is always on and goes off frequently, with families looking for help. I just think it's important that they get a chance to not feel alone and so isolated. This support is important in Humboldt County, where mental health services are severely lacking. The county is not alone. Like many places, it's dealing with the effects of the COVID pandemic and the opioid epidemic. But Humboldt is a rural county in far northern California, removed from resources and funding. So the county's Department of Health and Human Services and other partners are working on a possible solution, a proposed emergency mental health care facility in Arcata. The goal is to have beds for patients to sober up, a crisis stabilization center, and a substance use disorder residential treatment program, among other resources. In the meantime, Leah Nagy is in Eureka, getting ready to lead a weekly support group for people whose loved ones have mental illnesses. She started the group over 10 years ago. I got drafted into this stuff, and all I have here is life experience. That's all I have. Twelve people gather around a large wooden table in a conference room. Most are parents of children with mental illness. They take turns updating each other on how their kids are doing. Michelle Norton's son has been talking about suicide and taking a lot of the anesthetic ketamine. Accepting that he's probably going to die. I really, really am having a hard time with that. But I mean, there's still hope. Hope is really important in this group. But finding resources to help those who are struggling can be a real challenge. There's not the infrastructure here to, to meet the needs. That's Luke Brownfield. He's the county's chief public defender, and he says mental illness is common among their clients. I would say our percentage would be at least 75% of our repeat offenders suffer from mental health histories. Brownfield will often put clients through mental health diversion to get treatment instead of jail time. But there aren't enough providers to fill that need. This is also a problem for hospitals. In this rural county, there's only one inpatient psychiatric hospital and a critical shortage of hospital beds. Dr. James Goldberg is the medical director of the emergency department at St. Joseph Hospital in Eureka. He says patients in need of psychiatric care are taking up crucial space in hospital beds. Just earlier this week, out of our 22 beds that we have here, we were actually holding 12 behavioral health patients. To help address this problem, work continues on the proposed emergency mental health care facility. Project leaders applied for a $12 million grant from a state program dedicated to behavioral health. They'll hear back on whether they receive funding this spring. But the facility won't be complete for at least two more years. Back in Eureka, Leah Nagy's support group has ended, and people hang out and chat. The remnants of their conversation litter the table. Water bottles, notebooks, a box of the overdose reversal medicine, Narcan. At the end of each meeting, attendees recite together, We will never give up Nagy has been doing this work for decades. What keeps her going, she says, is her desire to reduce stigma around mental illness and the hope that even if you can't help your own kid, maybe you can help somebody else's. For The California Report, I'm Jane Vaughn in Humboldt County. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from hintwater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, April 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the state agency known as the Sierra Nevada Conservancy has begun accepting grant proposals for wildlife recovery. The 2023 Wildfire Recovery and Forest Resilience Directed Grant Program supports planning and implementation of forest health projects. The grants are part of the state's $15 billion investment focused on the effects of climate change, including wildfires, drought, and extreme heat. To be eligible for funding, applicants must be a public agency, nonprofit organization, or a tribal entity. Projects must be within the Sierra Nevada Conservancy service area, which includes the mountains and foothills of the Sierra Nevada Range. Proposals must be submitted by June 16th. Now, here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. The storm system that brought us a bit of rain and snow to the high country has passed, and cool temperatures but no precipitation are in the immediate forecast. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, partly cloudy with a low around 32. Wednesday, expect sunny skies with a high near 53 and a low around 34. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, a slight chance of snow showers with a low around 15 degrees. Southwest wind could gust up to 20 miles per hour. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 39. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy, with light winds and a low around 18. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low around 40. Wednesday will be sunny, with a high in the mid-60s, a low of 43, and light winds. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The storms of the past winter were so outsized that they revived California's vast Tulare Lake, which had disappeared decades ago. The possible impact of a much bigger water event is the topic on the table today as hydrologist Steve Baker talks to KVMR's Paul Emery. The scenario known as Arc Storm is meant to help us prepare for a future catastrophic megastorm. The nightmarish details just might blow your mind. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, we're going to talk about big water today. Oh, boy. The snowpack in the high Sierra has been unbelievable, Mm -hmm. is unbelievable. And it's, it's going to impact our lives at lower elevations, and it's already changing the Central Valley. Um, Talk about that. I think what you're alluding to here is the Tulare Lake. Now, no one in our generation really remembers it, but the Tulare Lake was a huge body of water, and it's located, it was located between Fresno and Bakersfield. So if you can imagine this, steamships traveled on this lake back in the day in the Central Valley. Elk and antelope, they actually visited the shores of this lake. It really happened a couple hundred years ago. There's four rivers that discharge water into this lake, Kings River, Colwee, 
Thule, Kern Rivers, those are the four main rivers that filled up this enormous lake. At least 40 na- native uh, Yokut groups lived on the shores back 200 years ago. They made their homes, they made boats, they made baskets with Thule weeds. And then they fished for salmon, clams, and trout. It was a whole different place than what we see today. During the wet years, this lake was probably 1,000 square miles. Central Valley, it's all wow. dry there now. Yeah. At least it was as of last year. Um, it's four times, it was four times the size of Lake Tahoe. This was a huge lake. Uh, deepest spot was about 50 feet, so somewhat shallow like the Salton Sea. Farming was, was a big attraction. So as time rolled on, the river flows were diverted and the lake slowly got dewatered and disappeared. So now it's mostly farmland. Now, if, but, but the concern is if we have extreme winter weather, like this year, the mountain runoff is going to be too much for today's water system. And when that happens, you can expect some real serious flooding. And um, it's happened in the last 40 years to have extreme flooding where this lake showed up again. 1983 it occurred. Suddenly the lake appeared again in a smaller version of it. But nevertheless, in 1997 it did. And then, believe it or not, this year, right now, down at the Tulare uh, area, uh, you have Tulare Lake. Showing its face again. It's back. It is back. No steamships as of right now. No, <laughs> maybe rowboats. Steve, these big water events that you talk about, like such as the last one, they're, they are a lot more intense than ever in the last 40 years, as oh. far as I can tell. Oh, that's absolutely, that's true. There was an event that occurred uh, back in the day, 1861 to 1862, that winter. And if that repeats, it would cause an enormous amount of destruction and also also death. Now, back in 1861, it started with a snowstorm, like what we just experienced, okay? And it happened in early December, and about 15 feet of snow fell in that one storm in the Sierras. And after that, immediately after that, there was a series of warm, windy, atmospheric river storms, which we can also relate to, right? And for the next 40 days, it rained and rained and rained, and water just poured out of the mountains. Um, as a result of that, there was a lot of flooding. Bridges washed out. Whole towns disappeared overnight. That's how much water came out. Uh, roads were destroyed. It was a bad thing. It turned into a big lake at the bottom, a 300-mile by 20-mile wide area. It was underwater by up to 30 feet in some spots. So it was an enormous amount of water that ended up accumulating. Even Sacramento was flooded for about a year. And, um, and rowboats, really, at that time, it was the best way to get around. <laughs> you didn't use vehicles anymore. Uh, what resulted from all that was 4,000 people died. A third of the property was destroyed in that area. Um, a quarter of California's 800,000 cattle either drowned or starved. And uh, let's, let's uh, see how that affected the food chain, okay? Eggs, it cost an equivalent of what today would be $79 a dozen. So it really made things difficult. The USGS has uh, completed some sediment studies, which have shown that this magnitude of a storm can happen about every 100 to 200 years. And now, uh, you know, we we now talk a lot about arc storm, the arc storm modeling simulations. So we're looking at these things now. What is an arc storm? 
Uh, Arc Storm's a hypothetical situation. Uh, California Operation of Emergency Services, together with many other uh, groups, uh, have put together this hypothetical, which is a West Coast winter storm that happens once every 500 to 1,000 years. And it's going to be very similar to the 1861-62 storm. So this arc storm scenario is is really located where they're located in the Central Valley. It's going to create a 300 by 20 mile wide area, just like the 1861 storm. Also, Orange County is going to be affected, L.A. County, San Diego County, San Francisco County, and some of the coastal communities. This is the hypothetical. It's it's a big deal. It's going to cost California, probably, they estimate, a trillion dollars, which is five times more than the damages of, of Katrina. Steve, uh, you know, about 10 years ago when I was a news director at KVMR, I remember um, our local Red Cross and the county, they were involved in an emergency response that simulated a flooding event, maybe something such as that. And I remember they were going around town and they were they were looking at the old furniture store in oh, downtown yeah. Nevada City, which has been closed for a long time, as a possible place to put people up if the valleys were flooded. Uh, what do you know about that? Oh, I actually know a lot about that because uh, I was in it. Now, the Red Cross, the County Operation Emergency Services, Fire Police, basically all the emergency services in multiple jurisdictions, not just up here, were all challenged with some very uh, difficult situations. It was, it was quite an operation. It lasted most of the day and uh, really got a feel for how difficult it is for our emergency services uh, people. And, and we need practices like this. But it was all focused on an arc storm. It was kind of about like... Well, what would happen if the 1861 storm were to happen this year? Yeah, that was that was the basic that question. Was the, that and, was the basic question. Well, Steve, we're out of time. So uh, thank you so much for uh, this very interesting story. Oh, well, you're, you're welcome. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. In today's Money Matters commentary, Mark Cuniberti walks us through some notorious marketing missteps that sent advertisers down a perilous path. The latest example, the transphobic backlash over two recent campaigns for Budweiser and Nike. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Although Wall Street marketing agencies are world-renowned for developing catchy jingles and slogans for iconic brands and millions of dollars are thrown their way to come up with such things, on occasion we scratch our heads and say, what the heck were they thinking? Throughout history, looking back on decades of products and their promotions, there are classic streaks of brilliance and occasional bouts of idiocy. Jingles like plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is, the Alka-Seltzer historic jingle, and Where's the Beef, which belonged to Wendy's, are ingrained into our brains like the simple math we learned in elementary school. One can actually ascertain the age of another by what jingles they know, along with iconic TV show theme songs and their lyrics. Of course, along with brilliance comes the occasional blunder when Coca-Cola went about announcing it was changing its formula, known as the New Coke, 
We thought, why are you messing with a drink that has been as successful as Coke over a century or more? It's not like people were stopping their purchases of Coca-Cola and complaining they lost their taste for it after a hundred years of the concoction. Far from it, Coke was still the number one selling brand and still is, of course, and somehow Coke thought it could do better and announced it was changing the secret formula. That decision quickly became a head-scratcher, as iconic as the drink itself. After widespread backlash, Coke backpedaled and initiated damage control, scrambling to preserve the century-old taste by reintroducing a drink called Classic Coke as an alternative to the new one. New Coke eventually went into the history books as one of the most historic marketing blunders of all time. After Coke wiped the egg from its face, it dropped the whole campaign 16 years after it started. Fast forward to today, and now Budweiser enters the spotlight, a delicate situation to be sure. During March Madness, the popular college basketball tournament, Bud Light partnered with transgender TikTok celebrity Dylan Mulvaney, in which the iconic beer company sent a Bud Light can with Mulvaney's picture on the cover. Mulvaney posted the sponsored announcement on her then 1 million viewership Instagram channel with commentary. Soon thereafter, Nike entered the controversy by hiring Mulvaney to advertise their sports bra and leggings in what appeared to be a hastily thrown together video of the trans woman working out in Nike gear in what appears to be a backyard. No matter what one's view of the campaigns, there is no arguing the backlash from conservative groups has been no the old adage, any advertising is good advertising, certainly is in play, and no doubt there are multiple conversations in corporate boardrooms right about now as to whether to tip toes into the controversial pool that is Dylan Mulvaney or get the hell out. Observationally speaking, we are in new territory here. Can a company profit from such a notoriety as promoting a view that so angers a good portion of its customer base, yet generates such widespread coverage? Does the obvious kickback by a loyal customer base outweigh the attention such an advertising campaign generates? Difficult questions for sure, and I have no idea whether the gamble will pay off an increased revenue for either company or result in a fireball of plummeting sales in protest. Whether all this will eventually blow over or if the iconic brands will suffer significant damage from all this remains to be seen. What I do know is there's certainly going to be one winner in all of this. Dylan Mulvaney is going to make a fortune. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. This newscast expresses my opinion only. It's not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell anything or represents the opinion of any bank investment firm or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff members or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors, 1979, and California insurance license OL34249. My website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast for Tuesday, April 18th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Community Asian Theater of the Sierra, Cats, presenting The Great Leap by Lauren Yi, tracing one man's adventure from San Francisco's Chinatown to playing basketball in China, April 27th through May 20th at the Nevada Theater, Nevada City. 
Ticket info, catsweb.org. And MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley, mecbuilds.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.